We're going to be looking at Matthew 6, Ephesians 6, Colossians 2, Hebrews 11. I think maybe grab something from Hebrews 12. And if I went too fast, again, all of that is on your handout this morning. Several years ago when Heather and I, uh, more like over 10 years ago, when Heather and I was getting ready to get into parenting, anybody get into parenting and then you thought, you know, I was getting ready, I'm not ready, once you got into it, <laughs> you know, but uh, we were getting ready and uh, we were getting ready uh, like Gen Xers would, uh, the first thing you need to make sure you have when you know you've got kids, because our situation was more unique. We, we were getting involved in foster care, and so we knew we could end up with uh, kids that were older. So when you get prepared for children in today's age, first thing you need to buy, video games, right? You need to have, you need to have something to entertain them with, right? So we, we got an Xbox 360. I know that might be dated now. It was Xbox 360 Connect. And if you don't know what that is, uh, that is a, a device that you sit in front of the TV and it sends out a laser and it senses you and then it reads your mind and reports it all to the government. <laughs> Some people believe that. <laughs> but it senses your body and then your body becomes the controller. Okay, so then you move around and it, you move the character around based on what you're doing with your body. One of the games on it is bowling. Anybody like bowling? Anybody, you probably like real bowling and not necessarily video game bowling, but this is fun too. And if you've ever bowled, you know that with bowling, uh, once you figure out, once you get your body in a certain position and you maintain a certain form and velocity and you release that ball at the same spot of your delivery and it lands in the same spot and it hit a strike before, it's going to hit a strike every time, right? Because it's all about form. Okay, and I realize that it's all about form. So if I'm going to play uh, connect bowling, it's the same form on that, uh, even though you're not moving a ball, but uh, you get in the form, and you throw it, and you get a strike. Awesome. However, sometimes I would get in the same form, and I'd do all the exact same motions, and it would just all of a sudden veer all the way to the left and knock down one pin. And I'd evaluate the situation, okay? Anybody ever evaluate your situation when you're playing sports, or anybody competitive like me? You're evaluating the situation. What went wrong here? And my conclusion was, Something's wrong with that sensor. It can't be wrong. There's nothing wrong with my form. I, I did the exact same thing. Something is wrong with the sensor. Which at that point, Heather would usually point out, are you sure that it's not something you did? That can't be something I did. It has to be the sensor. Or the kids must have moved it or something. They, they pulled on the cord or something. Or, uh, you know, wind blew through the air or something like that. Some of you ever bowled with people who, who would get mad and they would say, something's wrong with this ball. You know, or they did something to the lane, or, or something's wrong with these shoes, and blaming something else other than it can't be me, right? There's nothing wrong with me and my delivery and those kind of things. Have you ever been there before? Have you ever done that? Maybe you tried different things. Maybe you tried a recipe, or you tried to tackle a situation. You read a book about how to tackle a situation, and you did all the steps the book said, and it didn't happen, and then your conclusion was, it must be the book. The book just doesn't have all the right ideas. It can't be me. Now, I think sometimes we do that when it comes to faith also. We have faith to believe that God can do different things, and we ask Him to do different things, and then we, we pray and expect the result, and then it doesn't happen. 
And then we start asking the question, why? Because I did all the stuff, right? Whether it's praying for something or just living a certain way, we're, we're reading the Bible and we're studying it and we're doing what it says and we're, we got the form down, right? You know, we're living out the form. We're doing all the right stuff and we're expecting something to come in return. And it doesn't. It can't be me. It has to be somebody else. That's the reason why this didn't work. And we wrestle with that. Do you ever wrestle with that? Have you been through that journey where you're praying for God to do something? You're trusting and believing in Him to do something, and it doesn't happen. And now you step back and you have to evaluate what is it that's going on here. And we land in different spots. Sometimes we land in a spot and later move to a different spot. But we land in different spots as we try to figure out what is this. Sometimes we do blame ourselves, right? Sometimes we start to think, I just must not have enough faith for this stuff. Or maybe all these struggles and sin issues that I'm still wrestling with, maybe God doesn't want to do that for me because of what I have going on in my life, what kind of person I am. Maybe that's why this isn't happening. Some people have left the faith completely, walked away from Christ, stopped believing in, tried all the stuff. I really did the body of Christ and just given up because it doesn't work. Tried all the stuff. I really did. I really put all my heart into it, and it didn't happen, so it's just, it's, it just doesn't work. Or we start getting mad at God. Maybe we didn't stop believing in Him, but we start getting mad at God. You know, you don't care about me, Lord. You don't care about my situation. You're not understanding of me. This is your fault. Why weren't you there? Why didn't you take care of this? And we land in that place. Or maybe sometimes we land in the place where we, we start to think it through and we think, you know, maybe it's the people in my life. You know, if it wasn't for them, if they wouldn't have been doing these things in my life, then maybe I wouldn't have turned out this way. Maybe they're the ones that are struggling in faith. Maybe I was believing the whole time, but everybody else. Remember how Jesus walked into a town one time and he couldn't do many miracles there? And why couldn't he do many miracles? Because of the, faith, the lack of faith of the other people. And so we see that and we think, well, maybe it's other people around me. Maybe that's why it's not happening. And we're trying to figure this out. However, what if it's possible that the reason why we aren't seeing certain things happening in our lives is because there's something wrong with our faith? That cannot be. I have the highest faith. I have a faith that can move mountains. Have you ever heard people say that before? Not that that's not in Scripture, but no, I have the faith that can move mountains. It cannot possibly be my faith. But what if it was? Now, some of us land in a space that is somewhat okay. We land into this space where I believe that God can do this. But I don't, I'm not really sure that He's going to. And that's okay sometimes, because there actually was an individual that came to Jesus and asked him to do something for him, and he said, if you will. And Jesus didn't rebuke that person. He didn't correct him for saying, if you will, to question whether or not God was willing to do this, if it was fitting within his will. Then there was a person who came to Jesus and said, uh, asked him to do something, and he said, if you can. He was questioning Jesus' ability and in that instance, Jesus corrected him, okay? So there is some truth to the idea of if you can, if you will. But Jesus says, all things are possible to those who believe in anything you ask in my name, believing that you will receive it, you will receive it. 
What happened to us along the way? You know, at some point, when we first came to Christ, or first got serious about this, or when we were younger and being raised in the faith, there was at some point in our journey that we really believed this stuff, didn't we? We really believed that anything we asked for, Jesus was going to show up and do. And in many times, we did see that, didn't we? We see, saw God work in our lives in many ways, and we were just always believing. If we were asking, if we were walking in this, Jesus was going to do it. What happened to that faith? Have you ever felt like that somewhere along the way, some gang of teenagers just showed up and grabbed your faith and dragged it out the back alley and jumped your faith and left your faith half dead? Have you ever felt like that before? Just, I know it's there somewhere. You know, there's some semblance of it, but it's very weak. I don't know if I believe that he will. I believe he can. I don't know if I believe he will. And again, there's... There's a space for accepting trials and tribulations and sufferings, and we know this life isn't going to be perfect and those kind of things. But when was the last time you asked God to do something and you believed that he would? Because I understand there could be a balance, but are, do you really have a balanced approach to this? Do you really believe that sometimes you just believe that, I don't know if he's going to do this, because uh, I don't know if it's in his will, but there are times you know for sure he will? Or when was the last time you actually believed that he will do this? There are a few encounters that Jesus had uh, with people's faith. There was, uh, there was the time that, which one do I want to throw at you first? Ah, you guys might remember this story. Anybody ever been in a boat? Anybody ever been in a boat in a hurricane? Anybody would say, if I was in a boat, in a hurricane, I'd be frightened, scared for my life. Anybody would say that? Okay. So the disciples were in a boat out at sea, the Mediterranean Sea, and they were out at sea, and there was uh, what some Bible interpreters would say was likely a hurricane. It was a very, very severe storm, and they were frightened for their lives. Now, they saw Jesus do miracles. They knew that he could do those things, so it wasn't a question of whether or not he could. It was a whether, whether or not he would do it. And so they went to Jesus all panicked and frightened, and they, they got him to come up to the, the top, and they, they asked him to do something. But they were panicked, and he, Jesus spoke to the storms and calmed the storm, and then he looked at them and said, Oh, you of little faith. Then we have the disciples when they had that embarrassing moment that they, he, Jesus had sent them out to perform miracles. And one of those guys slipped over to Jesus and said, listen, I have a, probably the guy they didn't want to get over to Jesus because that guy got over to Jesus and said, listen, I have a child who's been possessed by a, by a demon and your guys couldn't do anything about it. Have you ever had that before? You know, you couldn't, you, there's something you were messing up and you're like, just keep, I don't want my boss to see that. You know, I don't want my wife to see that or my parents to see that. And, but it slipped out somehow and it got over to them. That happened to them. They didn't believe the, de- the demon would be cast out when they went and said it. And what did Jesus respond? How did he respond to them? Oh, you of little faith. Why? Because they didn't believe he would do it in that instance. Then there's Peter who gets out of the boat on one occasion because he sees Jesus walking towards them on the water. And Peter gets out and he begins to walk on the water towards Jesus. 
He's walking on the water. All right, this isn't like the shallow end of the kiddie land, all right, where it's up to your ankles. He's out in the middle of the lake or, or the sea, and he's walking on the water, again, in some kind of a storm. And, but at some point, he starts to sink. Now, his circumstances didn't change. Sorry, I cut you off there. Uh, his circumstances didn't change. He was above that body of water when he was walking on it and when he was sinking. Jesus was standing in front of him when he was on the water and when he was sinking. The storm, was, the storm didn't just show up when he started walking on the water. All those circumstances were the same. Why did he start to sink? He started to sink because Jesus grabbed him, pulled him up, and said, Oh, you of little faith. I wonder how many of us have little faith. We're struggling to believe. We know he can do it, but we're struggling to believe he will. He can't fix, he's not going to fix my circumstances. I am not going to be able to overcome this thing. He's not going to help me overcome it. He's not going to take care of my provisions. He's not going to heal me. And I think sometimes it's out of protection emotionally, isn't it? We just get tired of the letdown, tired of the disappointment. And the reason why we're disappointed is because there's something wrong with God. He's not willing. It can't be my form. It's got to be the censor. It must be the ball. It must be the shoes. It can't be my faith because I'm believing. Well, if it is not my faith, then where is the working of the Holy Spirit? Where is it? Is it really true that God has pulled back and decided to do nothing in the lives of the believers? Now, again, I know that he allows us to go through trials and tribulations, but nothing? Is it really true that the Holy Spirit is going to do nothing in the lives of the believers? When did our faith erode away from us? And how can we get it back? Don't you want your faith to be built back up again to where it was once before? Don't you want to get to a place where when you pray, when you step out in faith and do, you don't do it with trembling. You do it with absolute confidence that God is going to do this thing. But how do we get it back? Well, it's multifaceted. There's a number of angles, and so we're going to have to take us, uh, several weeks to get there. But we're going to start today, and the starting point is right inside this mind of yours. It starts with the way we think about it all. In fact, Paul told uh, the Corinthian believers in 2 Corinthians 10 that we need to take every thought captive and make it submissive to Christ. Romans says that this mind of ours needs to be transformed and renewed. Something has to happen with the way that we think. We need to correct the way that we think. And we can do that by fighting and by understanding. There are two things we need to fight against, and there's two concepts we need to understand correctly to get our minds in the right place where we can begin the journey of seeing our faith built up again. Well, what are the things we need to fight? First, we need to fight anxiety, and as, as uh, Sonia said, doubt. We need to fight against anxiety and doubt. Anybody have never felt anxiety ever in your life? Anybody felt very anxious this week at some point? Anybody feel very anxious right at this moment? 
because he's talking about something that's very uncomfortable to me. I'm anxious about this. And Jesus tells us in Matthew 6 to be anxious for nothing. Do not be anxious. But it's a lot easier for someone to tell us to just stop doing that. Have you ever had someone do that in your life? Just stop being angry. Just stop being sad. Stop being anxious. Stop worrying. And does that work? Does that help you guys? Uh, it doesn't work just to say stop it. That's why Jesus didn't stop talking after saying stop it. When he said stop it, he said more things to us. He said, first of all, as he begins to think about all the things that we're worried about, and that's our shelter, our food, our, he says, is not provisions, all of those things. And as he's thinking about those things, he says, is not life worth more than food and clothing? And he begins to draw our attention to that a lot of the things that we're worried about really don't matter so much. Have you ever been really, really worried about a car that you had? that you don't have anymore? Anybody ever been really, really worried about a house that you have that you don't have that house anymore? Anybody ever been really worried about a problem that you once had that you don't have anymore? You see, that's the nature of problems and concerns and issues that we have. They show up and they go away. They show up and they go away. Life is more than getting stuff. Life is more than getting a paycheck. Life is more than being healthy. Life is more than that. And if we can get our eyes off of that's why Peter, he was, he was fine until he started looking at all his problems, all the things to be concerned about. And we are the same way. If we can just stop worrying about all the problems and start focusing on that there's more important things than this. So if I lose the car, if I lose the house, if I lose the clothes, if I lose the job, life still exists. And the very fact that you guys are still here living and breathing with a beating heart tells us that God has kept you alive through every bit of those things and life was more than all of those problems. And so when you're staring in the face of the diagnosis or of the being fired of or being evicted or over the conflict or over the temptation or whatever it is that you're standing in the face of, remind yourself that life is more than this problem. And we might begin to find anxiety going away and we might begin to find our faith that once used to be there start to get restored. Or he then draws our attention to the birds and the, the grass of the field. He says, look at them. They don't have 401ks. That's, I thought that was in there somewhere, 401k. Is the message version. <laughs> they don't have a social security paycheck. They don't have a structure to call home, a vehicle to travel around in. No, I mean, they can fly. That's pretty nice. Uh, but they don't have all of those things. They're not worried. And they're alive. They have all the things that they have need of. And you know what he's drawing our attention to? You've always had what you needed. You see, when we start worrying, we're not worried about yesterday. Who worries about yesterday? You might say, well, I'm worried about yesterday because I'm worried about what I did yesterday and someone finding out about it. Or I'm worried about what I did yesterday and I'm worried about the consequences of it. Well, you're not worried about that thing that you did. You're worrying about the consequences that might come tomorrow. 
You're worried about the results of that that might come, the discovery of that that might come tomorrow. You're still worried about tomorrow. And what did Jesus say? Do not worry about what? Tomorrow. Because whenever we're stressed and anxious and worried, that's what we're worried about. What's going to happen tomorrow? And Jesus says, why are you worried about tomorrow when yesterday I was there? And the day before that, and the day before that. And you might have had tight seasons. You might have experienced pain. You might have walked through difficult times. But time and time again, there was God with us in the midst of it and carried us through it. Our being here is a testimony to that reality. That Jesus has always taken care of us. And so when we're staring in the face of all of those obstacles and all of those issues and all of those problems, remind yourself, he did it before, he'll do it again. And begin to see the faith that once was eroded resurfacing again. Don't you want to regain that faith? And then he says the line that we quote often here in verse 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Recently had uh, one, of, one of our members testify to me that he had ministered to somebody. And this, this person was stressed and anxious about different things in his own life. And he ministered to somebody. And then he got in his car and left that conversation. And while he was driving away, all of a sudden it dawned on him that in that moment in which he was ministering to that person... He wasn't anxious. He wasn't worried about his problems or his issues. All of that was gone. Why? Because he was focused on the mission at hand. Serving, ministering to other people, bring, bringing glory to God, doing the things that God wants us to do. And some of us, the reason why we're anxious and we're struggling is because we're not doing what we need to be doing. How many people get stressed and anxious and they retreat to their house and they hide away? And then you just hide away to do what? To just sit there and worry about it. Worry and wait for what's coming instead of getting up and doing something. And I can't tell you countless people that I've, I've tried to counsel that have dealt with discouragement and, dis- and depression and have decided to shut themselves in and told them, you got to get out. you got to do. And you know what they do? They do like so many people in my life do. They answers, but I do know that one. It's so sad. Not that I know all the answers, but I do know that one. Because I've walked through that one myself. And I will tell you that if you choose to remain inactive, there will be no faith in that. What does James say that we'll get to more closely next week in James? Faith without works is what? Dead. You want to activate your faith? You've got to start doing something about your faith. Don't just sit around and wait for something to happen. Do the work, but don't just do anything. Do the work of the kingdom. Then I need to fight against corruption. And that's where we'll jump and grab some things from Ephesians 6. I need to worry about, or I need to deal with, not worry about, deal with corruption coming into my life. And I can do that in a reactive way. This is the uh, armor of God passage. I can do that in a reactive way or a proactive way. The reactive way is when certain things begin to surface, I need to deal with them. You ever read the psalm writers who would say, be quiet within me, O my soul? Rejoice within me, O my soul? He's telling himself, listen, don't feel this way. Don't think this way. And we have to do that. When, when the lies begin to surface, whether it's coming from the enemy or someone else or our own stinking self. Do you ever get tired of blaming the enemy and other people and realize it's my own stinking self that got, my, got me into this mess? 
And I start telling myself lies. And whenever that happens, what did Paul say in 2 Corinthians 10? Take every thought captive and make it do what? Make it worry and be fearful for its life. No, make it submit to Christ. Make it to submit to what is true, what is real. And so, when you feel within your heart, I can't do this. I just can't do this. And I'm believing that none of you have ever uttered those words. (laughs) I just can't put up with them. I just can't deal with these children. I just can't handle my parents. I just can't deal with my boss, that neighbor. I can't deal with this body of mine. I can't deal with the financial pressure or the emotional pressure. I can't do it. That is a lie. You can do it. Paul says in Ephesians 6, verse 10, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. What is that saying? I have the strength of the Lord with me. That's why Paul could say elsewhere in Philippians, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so when you fail time and time again over whatever sin issue that you're struggling with and everything within you wants to say, I can't defeat this, I can't overcome this, then I need to take my thought captive and say, no, I can do this. And the enemy says, well, you failed over and over and over again. Obviously, you can't. No, I can't do this. Yesterday's gone, and I press forward to what is Ahead, I can do this. I can handle my financial situation. I can handle the mess I'm in. I can handle. So many people run from social conflicts and they just hightail it out of there. No, I can deal with this conflict. I can deal with my body being the way that it is. I can deal with my household. I can do this. And you have to tell yourself, is it okay? Is it biblical? Talk Talk to yourself. Well, if the Psalms are biblical, then it is biblical to talk to yourself. So tell yourself, correct yourself. As soon as you say the words, I can't, then tell yourself, no, actually, I can. I can do this. Or maybe you'll be tempted to believe the lie that, well, God will just take care of all of that, so I'm just going to sit over there and watch and wait for it to happen. I mean, after all, it says those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength, right? That is true. And there are times that he doesn't want us to do anything but wait and trust. But when I read the Bible, most of the time, the people that are believing are also doing. When they believed that Jesus was going to awaken the Jewish nation, they went out and preached. They didn't just wait for God to reveal it uh, directly. They went out and they communicated the message. They went out and prayed. They went out and loved on people. They went out and helped one another. They did the work. Jesus calls us to do that. He says, you are the the arms and the feet. You are the ones that are supposed to be. uh, When you do it to the least of these, you've done it to me. And we need to do. And some of us, we believe the lie. You know what? I'm just going to wait for a paycheck to show up in the mail. Then I'll know all my bills. I know I will believe that. I don't want to just not have any faith. So I'm just going to wait for God to just swoop in and take care of it. No, don't do that. Don't believe the lie. That's the enemy trying to talk you into giving up and doing nothing about it when you... What did Paul say? Did he say, God can take care of everything for me through Christ who strengthens me? No, he said, I can do all of this through Christ who strengthens me. Or maybe I might believe the lie that my fight is with people. It's my husband. That's the reason why this is a problem and it isn't working. It's my parents, it's my children. That's why this isn't working. 
It's that stinking, lousy, no good pastor. That's why this isn't working. It's my boss. It's my neighbor. If I had more money, that's why it's not working. It's, it's the government's fault. It's, it's, it's the economy's fault. It's all those business CEOs. It's all their fault. That's who against flesh and blood. What did Paul say in Ephesians 6? We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the spirits and principalities. And so when you feel everything within yourself wanting to point the finger and blame somebody else, correct your thinking. Take those thoughts captive and say, no, 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 it's not them. It's not them. Now, does that mean I don't need to confront at times and talk to somebody and deal with stuff? In fact, do you remember what Jesus said to Peter when Peter tried to stop him to go about the, the cross? He said, get behind me, Satan. He said that to Peter. But I want to note something. Did his relationship with Peter end at that moment? No. He wasn't seeing Peter as his enemy. In fact, he was acknowledging where it was coming from. Because he didn't say, get behind me, Peter. What did he say? Get behind me, Satan. Because he was acknowledging that, well, yes, this person in front of me is complicit in the problem. They are not the problem themselves. They are not to blame. And so many times we want to be mad and enemies with other people, but they are not our problem. Your solution isn't to fix the people in your life. Some of us do that. Do you know that? I just need to fix these people in my life and then everything will be okay. No, I don't wrestle against flesh and blood. I need to take these thoughts captive. Or sometimes when someone comes and confronts us and challenges us about the way we're behaving, you know, usually when someone comes and challenges you about the way you're behaving, like if John came to you, Betty Joe, and said, you know, I'm just kind of really struggling with you acting like this. The first thing we think is, thank you so much for sharing that with me. I am so grateful. Give me a big hug. Now, what do we do? We defend ourselves, and how dare you? You know what you did last week, by the way? And we complain, and we run and hightail it out of there, because I don't want to deal with that stuff that he's talking about, she's talking about. And did you ever notice that one of the parts of the weapon is the belt of truth? And while sometimes we think that that belt is Scripture, and while Scripture is truth, did you ever notice that there's an additional part of the armor that is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God? This belt isn't the Word of God. The sword is. So then what is the belt of truth? The belt of truth is just general truth, just truth in general. And it is hard to look ourselves in the mirror and accept the cold, hard truth about ourselves. That some of this is me. Some of this is my fault. I'm not really as good, patient, faithful as I'm claiming to be. And we don't like facing that. And part of our armor is missing. And we're not able to defeat the corrosion that comes in because we're not willing to face the truth about ourselves. And I need to take the thought captive, and I need to correct that, and I need to face the truth. I also need to be doing proactive things, and these are things that we repeat uh, often, but they're here in this armor as well. Uh, repeating what Jesus said, we need to do the mission. He says wearing the, the, shoes, the, the shoes of the gospel, the gospel of peace. And if you remember a few weeks ago, 2 Corinthians 5, we have this ministry responsibility, this ministry of what? Reconciliation. We have a responsibility to the gospel ministry of reconciling others to the Lord and others to one another. And so it's this gospel of peace. We need to be about doing the mission. 
And so if you find things falling apart in your faith, falling apart, ask yourself how much you've been plugged into the body of Christ, how much you've been serving others and sharing your faith and doing the gospel mission. And you point to the other things. Did you know that there was a king once that an arrow went up, a king in Israel, an arrow went up, and that arrow landed in the one spot that he was exposed and killed him? You can have all different pieces of the armor on, but just miss one, and you're vulnerable. And so just because I'm reading the Bible and praying and doing some of those things, do I have the entire armor of God on? Am I, verse 17 says, put on the helmet of salvation? Am I, elsewhere says, test and see if we are in the Lord? Am I examining myself to make sure, am I wearing this helmet? Am I really am a follower of Christ? Am I truly saved? Is this on? And testing that. I need to be, verse 17, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, studying the Scriptures. Verse 18, praying. When you look at your faith that's been eroded and falling apart, it's been corrupted, look at your prayer life. Look at your relationship with being in the Word. Look at how you're involved in the mission. Look at your heart position before the Lord. Is there something wrong? Perhaps that God bless you. You're welcome. <laughs> Perhaps that might be the reason why my faith went. Because I've not been wearing my armor. Lastly, I need to understand a few things. I need to understand something about this faith that I have. Colossians 2, verse 6 and following says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Now listen to this. Wouldn't you like to have this, verse 7? Rooted and built up in Him. And when the storms come and the issues wouldn't you like to be that? Built up and established in your face. So when the storms come and the issues come, you're not faltering because you have built up established faith. Well, how, does, how did they have built up established faith? It says, verse 8, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. Now, some people read that. Some other translations will say vain philosophy, but some people read that to think, oh, don't get involved in that philosophy stuff. It's bad stuff. When that's not, philosophy is just ideas. And he's referring to a specific kind of philosophy that is countering something else that he mentions in verse, verse 9 to counter that philosophy. He says, don't be caught up with philosophy, but instead, verse, verse 9, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And you have been filled with him who is the head of all rule and all authority. Part of the reason why some of us, and have you ever seen those uh, faith healers that will pray for someone that has some kind of walking issue and they pray that they get healed and all of a sudden that person's moving around and dancing around and everybody's excited. And then that preacher turns around and go pray for someone else and that person starts limping off the stage. Have you ever seen things like that before? Because, see, the kind of faith we need to have is not believing that I can do this stuff on my own strength. Not believing that this is about me, that I need to become something special. But it becomes Christ-centered. My faith is built upon that Jesus Christ is the Lord, the ruler of all things, the creator of all things. And so when I look at myself, have you ever looked at yourself and thought, I'm a mess? 
I can't do this. Look, I don't have anything within me to do this. Guess what? That's a fine place to be. Did you know that? Because I'm not dependent upon how great of an orator I am or how great of a communicator or how much faith I have. I'm not dependent upon whether or not I have great people skills or I'm very patient or I'm good with my money or I'm good at this job or that job. That's not what I'm waiting on. My faith's not built upon me. My faith is built upon Jesus Christ. And I'm not doing all this stuff so that me, I, I can feel good. I can look good. No, I'm doing all of this because I want Jesus to look good. And some of us, the reason why we are not seeing anything happening with our faith is because deep down we know that we're not actually pursuing Jesus Christ. We're pursuing us. But then he says in verse 11, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Some of you right now, in this moment, maybe before you came into this place, maybe if not, maybe I was the one that dragged your faith into that back alley and jumped it. I was fine until he started talking. But either way, whether it's now or before, you're feeling it. You're feeling the weakness, the smallness of your faith, and you're almost beginning to even wonder if it's even there anymore. Then you need to remember something. Did you at some point in your life come to embrace Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Did you at some point in your life experience Him changing you, changing who you are? You know what that means? How did we receive that? We receive that those who were raised up with him in Christ Jesus through what? Faith. That means if Jesus Christ has changed your life at any point in your life, that means that you have faith. So before you start beating yourself up and making yourself give up because you are in a struggling space, remind yourself that you do have faith. I had enough faith to believe that my life was changed. You had enough faith to believe to come into this building today. Just to come into this building, you had to have faith. And some of, some of you are like, right, you're right. You don't know who I live with and how I had to wrestle with them to get over here. Took a lot of faith to get here. But if you've experienced the powerful, working, changing, working presence of the Holy Spirit in your life, you have faith. You believe. But there is something called evidence do I have any evidence to believe? In Hebrews, Hebrews 11, verse 1 and following says this. It describes faith this way. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that, when, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Do you, do you hear this? Hear the, think about this for a moment. Right now you're sitting in a chair. You're in a room, a material room that you can see, you could touch with your hands. This Bible that we're reading right now, thing there, real world that you and I can see and touch and the things that we look to to see if there's something there, that came out of the invisible world. Do you know that? The material came out of the immaterial. Do you know what that means? 
That means when you're looking at your circumstances and evaluating whether or not you can do this, there is more that is present there than what you can see with your eye. And so if when you look with your eye and you see this circumstance looks hopeless, remember that God can bring out of the immaterial world and bring into the material world the things that we need. And so the financial provisions, the healing, the power, the patience, the ability, we don't need to see stuff for it to be there. Because the fact that everything that is here that we can see demonstrates that stuff has come from somewhere. But also, verse 13 of Hebrews 11, the writer of Hebrews says this, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they were seeking a homeland If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. And in verse 12, the writer of Hebrews, chapter 12, in verse 1, the writer of Hebrews says this, a verse that I think people often misinterpret, that says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, Let us lay aside every weight that entangles us and the sin which so clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Why can we run this race? Because of the cloud of witnesses. And some people say that that cloud of witnesses is all the people that went before us are watching down on us. As if we're like on Lion King where like Mufasa was looking down from, from the sky. This great cloud of witnesses. We're thinking of witness wrong. Witness often is testifying. People who are witnessing to us, testifying to us, this is real. And we are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. Which cloud of witnesses? The one he just described. All the people that went throughout the patriarchal season and throughout the history of the nation of Israel, all those people demonstrated for us that this thing that we're pursuing, these things that we long for, it's not limited by the length of your earthly life. Sometimes we think we prayed for this and time is running out because I'm getting older. God's not tied to your earthly life existence to answer that prayer. And we start to doubt and fear because he's not doing it within the working timetable that we have in our minds. Or because do you think that those people who walked in that really understood that they weren't seeking a literal promised land? They understood something was up, but do you think they actually could picture? You know, the people who prophesied in the Old Testament that the Messiah was coming, do you think they fully understand what was coming their way? That's why when Jesus did come, so many people didn't understand it. The ones who read and studied the Scriptures, why? Because so often when we pray for something, it doesn't actually look exactly like we had pictured it. And to us, sometimes that could be a disappointment. But what does it say? They desired, desired a better country. That sometimes the things that you're asking for, God understands more than you do what it is you're truly longing for. And he brings a better answer than what you had imagined. Isn't that what Paul says in Colossians? He could do greater things more so than we can even think or imagine. His ability is so far surpassing our imagination and our creativity. 
Don't lose your faith because you don't have evidence of it happening now in this life. Every single prayer that you ever uttered with the slightest amount of faith is going to be answered. It's not that he can do it, but we're not sure if he will. He will answer every single one of your prayers. But do you believe that this morning? Will you stand with me? Worship team, will you come and prepare to lead us? Do you truly believe that when you pray, something is going to happen? Not might, not it's possible. It is going to happen. When you begin to do the things that Jesus calls you to do, when you begin to live out the the biblical blueprint for our lives and begin to live according to the principles of the Word of God, do you really believe that the stuff that says it will happen, that it is going to happen? Not might, but is. What happened to the faith that you used to have? What happened to the confidence and the assurance and the way that you walked through this life knowing that God had your back? Where'd that go? Did it seep out the back door because you weren't prepared, you weren't proactive, you weren't doing the disciplines? Did it seep out the back door because you allowed the enemy to get inside your head? Or other people, or your own self-doubt to get in there and rule the day without being misunderstood. The way. How did it get in there? Did it get in there because you completely misunderstood the way God worked? How did it get in there? Wouldn't you like to gain it back? You can begin to lead us, worship team, as you feel led. Right now, in this moment, you have an opportunity to get it back. But if you're going to get it back, you're going to need to seek a person for it. Because you know what the writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews 12, verse 2? He says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Weak in your faith, floundering, struggling, blaming your circumstances, blaming the people in your life. Blaming God. And all the while, there is Jesus right in the midst of that who is the one able to perfect your faith. Don't you want to believe again? And so whatever it is, whatever angle you're coming from, wrestling with, maybe it's all of it. Here is Jesus, the author and builder of your faith, waiting at these altars to build it back up again. He's able. And so will you step out from your seats, make your way to this altar, and let him, as you show that you trust in him, let him make you have faith again. Believe that he will. He will. He will. He will take care of every one of my needs. He will, will see me through. Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. And may this be a moment that our lives were changed once again to have the faith the size of a mustard seed, the faith that can move a mountain. Worship team, can you get ready to lead us in Yes, I Will? Today and tomorrow, you're going to try this faith thing out. And I guarantee you that some of you, maybe all of you, will fall flat on your face.
But faith, faith without works is dead. And so the faith isn't whether or not we fell flat on our face. The faith is whether or not we got back up and went right back at it again. Faith is believing that even if I keep stumbling over this, even if I keep struggling, even if I keep wrestling, even if I keep experiencing conflict and different things, I'm going to keep after this thing. Isn't that why Jesus described the way to approach God is to approach him like the unrighteous judge, the woman who just kept asking and kept asking and being turned down over and over and again, and yet she kept asking why? Because she had faith. Her faith wasn't reliant upon whether or not things were great or things weren't falling apart. Her faith was reliant upon that she knew who was on the other side of her request, and she kept going. And so we're going to sing this song, and I hope that you will remember the words of this song this song as you go throughout this week and you will declare with your faith that no matter what it is we face, good or bad, yes, I will do this because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So let's declare it with our faith this morning. I will. Yes, I will. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for not giving up on us. Thank you, Lord, that when we are weak, you are strong. Thank you, Lord, that when we're wayward, you keep chasing us down. And so, Lord, we ask that you would build our faith. And we ask, like the other man that came to you, I believe, but help my unbelief. Lord, we know we're a work in progress, but we're asking you, build up our faith. And we are going to trust in you, put all our trust in you, that whether it's high or low, whether it's great or lousy, we will trust in you. Help us to have a persistent, persistent faith. We ask for it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Isn't he glorious? Amen. amen. Uh, love you guys. And I hope that you know that this faith is personal and it's corporate. That you and I have to believe that Jesus Christ will build his church. Amen. amen. And so we are going to see. We're seeing it now, are we not? Jesus is going to build his church, but we have to believe. So next week, what does my actions have to do with that? We'll see you then. God bless you. Have a good week.